when I'm in the church, what is the main thing I want to foster? I think that if you spend enough time in sacred scripture, especially about the presence of God, the idea that we need to foster is an overwhelming reverence. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Every Knee Shall Bow, your weekly Catholic podcast on evangelization. My name is Mike Gomer Gormley, and I am joined by Dave Restoring the Sacred Van Vickle. How you doing, Dave? <laughs> I'm good, and I love the name. Would you say you're a reform of the reform of the reform, <laughs> or a synod on synodality of reform? Yeah, definitely a synod on synodality. Do you know what's so funny is that when I first got to my diocese, they were doing a... um. It was like a program for priests on, it was called an intentional presbyterate. That's what it was called for me, intentional presbyterate. So now, so now anytime any priest says something to me like negative, I'm like, that really doesn't seem like an intentional presbyterate. <laughs> oh, Sherry Waddell, you know, your book was so good <laughs> when it gets yeah. creeped in, the title gets creeped into everything. Yeah. I love that. I love that. So Dave, what are you doing? Yeah. What are you working on? What's new? Um, I'm working on a lot. I'm working on a passion project book right now that I don't think anyone will ever publish, but mostly because of me, not because of them. But uh, <laughs> it's not you. It's and, me. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I'm getting ready for Lent. And uh, tomorrow I'm going to Tulsa for a one night mission oh, to your old diocese. Oh, you're going to Tulsa. That's so great. You're going back there. It's a great place. <laughs> you know, I was supposed to do a parish mission out there at my home parish. And, uh, yeah, I got canceled because of COVID. They haven't called me back. It's fine. Everything's fine. It's fine. What is your home parish? What if, I, what if that's what if that's where I was going? I would Wouldn't be, that be so funny? mad. <laughs> I would. Li- I would. Fl- I would flip. John Thomas, <laughs> my parents' friends growing up. You better. You better fix. You better this call situation. me. No, I would if they like texted me, I would just say like, Gomer wouldn't mind. Don't worry. He, in fact, he prefers I take his speaking <laughs> engagements. <laughs> I talked to. Uh, I emailed with a, a religious sister in edinburgh scotland this morning about coming out there to do a men's conference and i'm i'm very excited because i would love to see like all the like the catholic tours there yeah about you know you know like the jesuits being hidden and stuff like that yeah man i just want to go to the highlands of scotland which is the most catholic part it remained catholic uh so oh it's never changed huh uh, it never I mean, changed. Now it's probably a secular hellhole filled with wanton yeah, debauchery. But uh, right. I'm just kidding. But uh, no, because so those in the lowlands, which bordered England around the time of David Hume, famous philosopher David Hume, many yeah. of them uh, anglicized themselves, which okay. is it's a pretty controversial thing when you think about it. You know, Scotland losing its identity with England, but they were the ones that became the. Um, the Presbyterians, they were the ones that embraced, you know, the theology of John Calvin through John Knox and stuff. So it became okay. a, a very hotbed cultural thing. And then, um, yeah. And then, so I don't, I don't know where everything stands today, but the local public school, their nickname is the Highlanders. And they cool. have a, a big Scottish so dude. Cool. As, yeah. And they, every so often they'll get some kid who will learn the bagpipes and take to the field with bagpipes and stuff but why do you know all this that's so weird um so there was a philosopher that i follow named alistair mcintyre 
And oh, is he from there? He, well, he's Scottish, and he's, so it's it. First of all, it's it's annoying. You're so annoying. No, okay. I'm not that. guy. Alistair McIntyre is <laughs> not your philosopher. Like he's like you're like. There's this obscure philosopher that I follow that no one else knows about. <laughs> he's like the preeminent philosopher in, in the world. Okay, okay, I know him. You know him. <laughs> if you study moral philosophy and are a Catholic, you know him. <laughs> <laughs> but most people in our audience are not studying moral philosophy. Oh, come on. Let, uh, okay, okay. Let's do a survey. If you have heard of the book or read After Virtue, email me. If we get nine people, I will publicly apologize. Oh, yes, everyone. <laughs> you can't lie. You can't lie. Jesus knows the um, truth. So I went to my high school. It's called the Highlands. The hi- it's called the Highlands. The Highlands, yes. But, but the Highlands but in Dallas. totally different. Thing. No. No, I know. I w- I always wish that we we were the Blazers, but I wish we I always wish we were the Highlanders. Yeah, like Trailblazers, but they dro- yeah dro- Trailblazers. <laughs> I yeah. just, I just imagine your your mascot is a guy in a suit coat, just a blazer. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. I think that that's one of those examples of how mo- we no, no, think no, no, we're I'm way funnier than done. the people do. I'm not done. Your school motto is, uh, "Hey, we're going places." Huh? That's ridiculous. Huh? That's so ridiculous. In style. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm I'm interested. Uh, something on Facebook piqued my curiosity that I'm excited to talk to you about. Okay, it's funny that you say this because I'm not on Facebook, and what you're referencing is you my just. Own you, first of all, first of all, <laughs> okay, okay, you lie. Okay, you just posted. <laughs> You got angry. Your Austrian economist background got you angry at the country, and you just posted a bomb on Facebook. <laughs> and I was like, "What?" Gomer comes back to Facebook for that one quote, <laughs> so with no explanation or anything. <laughs> okay, this is actually funny. So the other day, I had gotten in an uh, in a discussion, not argument, with someone over their need to compulsively post. Right. Like, oh, I have a thought in my head. Everyone on Facebook needs to hear this. And so I thought it was funny that so I do this now. This is my view of posting on Facebook, which is essentially when I have a com- uh, a concise, complete thought, but I'm not going to give any context whatsoever. I'm going to post that sucker on Facebook. We're going to see uh, we're going to see how people react to it. And by see how people react to it, I mean, I will never get on Facebook again to look at that post and see its likes. And so I, I posted last time on uh, how runaway inflation ruins our economy, especially for the most vulnerable in our economy, those on a fixed income. But you know who inflationary economy benefits? The rich, wealthy and connected. I love Austrian economics. Oh, gosh, I do, too. We are such a contradiction because if if there were people like us in other parts of the country, they would all despise Austrian economics. I, I remember oh, yeah. I remember reading a Catholic worker newspaper and it was talking about like, you know, criticizing capitalism and it, it went after the Austrian school and then quickly switched to criticizing Milton Freeman. And I was like, you don't know what the Austrian school is. I get yeah. so mad I didn't read the Catholic worker for a long time after that. It's funny, you know, um I have seen lately I don't know. I want to be very. I feel like I'm going to get a bunch of emails about this. I've met like 20 converts in the last year, and all of them have very, like, vehemently tried to drop into conversation the very first conversation I have with them that they don't like capitalism and that that's a result of their conversion. Yeah. And like you said, it's usually 
they usually have absolutely no idea what Austrian economics are. They just, they're talking about Milton Friedman, you know? Yeah. But I will say for those, uh, I am becoming more and more convinced that from a Catholic perspective, we are losing something um, that capitalism attached to political liberalism, I don't think works for the human person. Meaning political liberalism says we can't talk about ultimate things, you know, pursuit of happiness, blah, 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 God, you know, the big picture stuff, that's all private. The little picture stuff like how to make money, law, you know, whatever, that's the stuff that bubbles up to the the national scene. After a while, those are the only important questions. And so people get instrumentalized in a capitalist economy connected with political liberalism. So the use of the land, and I'm a big fan of Wendell Berry and his agrarianism he's so good but um he would be he would be a not necessarily anti-capitalist but a stance that is more in line with say gk chesterton's distributism i think a lot of people are coming along that way but yeah yeah a lot of commies that's cool (laughs) i'm kidding i'm kidding do not do not email me you chestertonians (laughs) i have heard it all oh man Um, okay listen it's facebook Okay. Recently on Facebook. I posted a hilarious I, post. Go on. And your parish <laughs> yes. posted some sort of I didn't I didn't have a chance to dig into it, but it was like a new movement that they're starting or a new project and it was called Restore the Sacred. Yeah. And I'd like to hear about this. Okay. So it's less a movement and less a project than it is a oh, Facebook I'm making it post. into a movement, baby. <laughs> We're gonna have a conference next year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. With speakers such as Michael Gormley and Michael <laughs> Gormley. So here's the post. In many churches, it has become customary to socialize inside the church after uh, church proper after mass. Unfortunately, this has subtly conditioned Catholics to no longer think of the church as a sacred temple. This temptation to socialize in a holy place after mass has become common to St. Anthony's. And as we approach Lent, we like to reduce the amount of distractions inside the church. Not only are actions like talking loudly following mass or clapping after the recessional song distracting to many people who often remain in the pews to pray after mass, but it also mitigates our efforts to restore the sacred, sacred liturgy, sacred music, and especially sacred space. Our parish is a home for all, and we want every individual who steps onto our campus to feel welcome. But at the same time, we hope that every soul on campus can step into the main church and immediately feel the reverence, prayerfulness, and holiness of our beautiful sanctuary. It is a good thing that our parishioners love to spend time catching up and talking with friends. In charity, we ask that you spend time either in the narthex behind the closed doors or in the Padawan Center or outside in our piazza. Help us to restore the sacred. (laughs) Wait, I have one question before you expound on this. The clapping after the last song, what, what is that all about? Is that they're just ha- they're just like giving the music do, ministry like a round of applause yeah. or what? Do people not do that at your church? Okay. Well, we've no, I mean most no, not really. No. <laughs> so in the South, we have Southern hospitality and we have Protestants. So in the South, our culture right. is firmly informed by Baptists, non-denominational, right. you know, whatever, where it is the preacher and the music ministry, and that kind of defines the experience. So clapping, holding hands during the Our Father, um, things like that, chit-chatting before, after, and during Mass. Uh, people now are bringing coffee cups into church like they do with the non-denominational. Oh. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it's not parishioners that are doing that. You know, it's guests and stuff, but it's like the. So there's like one of two reactions that I think people have in in our culture today in terms of evangelization. And I think we've talked about it before, but 
I see this when it revolves around things like church and liturgy, whatever. Either A, we make it more, uh, I'm going to say this in a pejorative way. I don't really mean it, although I do disagree with it. We're going to ape the culture in order to make it easy for people who are non-believers to, you know, build that bridge and segue into church life. Or we're going to go so distinct from the culture that it's going to be like a shock to them when they go into the place. And so, uh, for instance, last night I was praying with our high school students and I said, okay, we're going to pray. So let's sit up and like half the kids are like laying back and, you know, not. And I said, you know, if you were to go to a Buddhist temple over with your friend, like let's say you got a friend who's Buddhist at school and he invites you to his temple, you would do everything they told you to do. You'd take yeah, off your totally shoes. Would. You would do, they totally I was would. like, you go to a, a buddy's synagogue, you're putting on a yarmulke like every one of you would. Why is it that you have no respect for your own tradition? And I was like, isn't that funny? You know, I didn't say it as mean as I just said it now, but I kind of did because I'm a grumpy old man. I have no business in being in youth ministry anymore. Um, yeah. But so the uh, so that that's kind of like this thing of when I'm in the church, how do I want to, f- what is the main thing I want to foster? And you can't foster everything, but you can foster a thing. So what do we want to do? And I think that if you spend enough time in sacred scripture, especially about the presence of God, the idea that we need to foster is an overwhelming reverence. Yeah, Here I right. am. So that notion of the sacred, I, I really do believe we've replaced the sacred with the comfortable. And I and think, the community. yeah, and I think we did that for good intentioned reasons that have not borne fruit in our lives. Uh, now, a lot of people I'm sure are hearing this and they're saying things like, but, you know, we started a welcome ministry. We're, we're much more open. We let people have conversations in the sanctuary. And, you know, we, we've our church has more people at the 9 a.m. mass than they've ever had before or whatever it might be. Okay. I don't view – this is where numbers become super tricky, right? Right. Because it's right. It's the wrong metric. What, what do we measure? It is. Yeah. It is the wrong metric. Yeah. Yep. So I'm going to go tell my kids – to be quiet, <laughs> you tell us what. Tell tell me your initial thoughts, and I'm gonna. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Well, first of all, my initial thought is, I am so thankful that there's an intentional movement, <laughs> and I I use both those words kind of funny, but also kind of seriously towards this because I have had this conversation so many times with priests, and usually what they say is like, "Well, I don't want to be like a jerk." And just like stand up and just be a jerk to everyone and tell them to be quiet. And I keep saying like, well, no, that's not the only way, you know, like there's, there are other ways to do this. And this is one of those ways through bulletin announcements, Facebook posts, uh, maybe a homily on it. And it was like very respectful. None of the things that were in this Facebook post really offended me or anything like that. I thought it was very well done, which is why I, I really, really liked it. And, uh, and second of all, you know, just, I, I think one of the issues is that I think that one of the, one of the issues is that people have a very difficult time separating out the different aspects of the church they were in. So for instance, there are going to be a lot of people from like the pre Vatican II church who vehemently push back on this restore the sacred because they're like, Oh, we're going back to those, those times. Right. And uh, the problem with that is that usually it's what they're, they're pushing against is not this, you know, it's not like 
it's not the sacred part. They're they're pushing against something else. They just can't separate it out. Yeah. And so I so Luke, I think that's one of the issues. Yeah. In yeah. in on catching foxes, Luke did a really good job because Luke is funny. He's a he's somewhat of a contradiction. Uh, which is oh, what makes him a yeah, delight. Totally a contradiction. Yeah. <laughs> but so he goes, almost all the young adults in Cincinnati go to Old St. Mary's. So they all go to the most traditional church in the Archdiocese. Okay. And is it like it's traditional Latin mass? Is uh, it- I think they have a Latin mass, but it is also traditional architecture. It is everything is sacred music. It is not. Okay. They don't, you know. Okay. So, and it's funny because they also have a really big culture in their diocese or in that area, Columbus. I'm sure you're familiar with um, a lot of the charismatic stuff that's out there that's big in the young adult community as well. So Luke was talking about why he just can't worship at churches that have ridiculous mass uh, mass parts and songs and stuff. But at the same time, this is this thing that he pointed out to me that I thought was really beneficial. He said, you know, one of the reasons why things change so quickly is because culturally things were really, really bad. And father, you know, back in the fifties, like if you talk to enough people in the fifties, church was not seen as a place where people wanted to be. It was incredibly oppressive and the pastor was a tyrant. And I was talking with one priest who was telling me, you know, the pastor was such a tyrant that he, all the money came to him and he divvied it out to his parochial vicars. Right. And yeah. I, have I shared this before that he that, no, but I know that that's the case because of Father John Sweeney used to talk about that. Yeah, and he would say that he would you know you you sit down at a meal and he's eating steak and everyone else is eating day old hamburger, and uh, you have this like constant reoccurring thing where it it was a it was a completely different, extremely authoritarian culture within which the things like the Latin mass and whatnot um, took place. And so I do think what you, what you said was, is onto the right thing in terms of what I've seen that you don't need to reject the whole thing, but there are certain aspects that we needed to separate and heal and fix. And it becomes very difficult in these circumstances to separate those out. But um, yeah, I, th- I think also just my, my second point kind of was people just don't like, they think that we have like theology and practice or worship are two separate things. No, they are not. And you can't do that. It does not work. It's never worked once for us. So like when we say, when Pope Benedict says over and over again in so many documents and so many things, when he would say that the Shekinah now resides within the tabernacle, we mean that. And if we mean it, then falling on our faces, right, in, in total reverence and awe is is more is more in line yeah. right with the theology that we preach so i i think it, if you you're just never ever ever going to win the minds of people without winning their hearts in the liturgy in some congruent way you know yeah and so so this all started like two weeks ago <laughs> we're at this meeting and our coordinator of liturgy brian jones says Hey, uh, I do have a thing I'd like to bring up, and this is a desire to make the interior of the church, the nave of the church, more reverently silent. Because a lot of people complain that they want to pray after Mass, and people are having full-blown conversations, and little kids are running around, and all that stuff. So I'm always telling my kids, because Sunday, for a homeschool family, Sunday is like first day at school after summer break. It's like you see all your friends, and it's like, you know, so... And there's a lot of homeschoolers at my church. 
So you have this kind of thing where all these people are meeting together and stuff, and they're inside. And it's Texas, so it's surface of the sun hot most days out of the year. It's 65 degrees. All winter, it barely even got below 60. So this is this has been so hot. It's, it's kind of annoying. But, um, but it's even more annoying to Dave as he shakes his head on the camera because you have coldness. You have coldness. Yeah, it's freezing here. I would do anything for that. But, <laughs> but whatever. So, uh, no. So. It is a problem in our church that people just talk, talk, talk. And our narthex can't hold a ton of people. There are a lot of, especially modern churches, where they have very large narthexi. And <laughs> so you can have a lot of conversations. But so Brian Jones is there and he says, we want to do our best to before and after mass, create a place of silence. Um, we want to help people enter into silence. We're not going to be telling our ushers to go around shushing people. That's not what we're doing. But we just want to create an atmosphere of it. And then Father David Huss said, yeah, you know, the other day this person comes up to me. So you got to understand this is a leadership meeting with like the main people that like the principal of the school and all the directors and all the priests and stuff. And then Father David says, yeah, so this guy, he comes in, uh, comes up to me and he says, well, you know, uh, I know all about Uncle Joe's colon surgery happening next week or uh, Uncle Joe's colon surgery. And then Father David goes, excuse me? And he goes, this family was talking right in front of me as I'm kneeling down full volume about their uncle Joe and their surgery that he has to have. So I know all about it. So father Dave, if you want to know about it, let me know. And so he starts, so he starts to talk <laughs> and I interrupt him. I go, excuse me, father David. And he goes, uh, yeah. And I go, how's Joe doing? <laughs> oh, you're, you're that guy I at the meeting. Totally that guy at the meeting. So the place like stops for like, cause I just deadpan delivered it. The place stops for like three seconds and they just look at me. And then they all get oh, they're like, oh, you're being ridiculous. I was like, is yes. he okay? It's an important surgery. Well, well, something that you said that your yes. communications guy said is, is important. It was the point I made while you were yelling at your kids. Um, <laughs> is that I've had this conversation with so many priests, and what they usually say is like, well, I don't want to be an ogre and like stand up and yell at everyone. Yeah. And it's like, no, there are other ways to do this. <laughs> there like, are a lot of ways to do. There this. are a lot of ways to do this. Like we can, we can actually do this. And I, I just think it's. I think it's so important. So we're know. lucky in our church. We have a very large, prominent, beautiful crucifix that is over, sort of over the altar, centrally framed. Um, if you go to ap.church slash Facebook, that'll take you right to our parish Facebook page. This post was on February 19th, and it's gotten 18,000 views in the first like, whoa, yeah, yeah, in the first like, two, it's it's one of the most popular posts that we've had in a long time. And it just like blew up and it has tons of comments and you get the standard comments. And if you go and read, <laughs> it is so funny, the comments, but it, it, okay, go back to the reciprocity between faith and the sacraments and the sacramental economy. This is exactly what those things are talking about because the people say, yes, it needs to be quiet, but also what about this? But also what about that? But also what about, and, and okay, fine. But what I think some of those things are touching upon is you say you want a sacred, quiet sanctuary, but what about these 500 other things that go in the exact opposite direction? And I right. think I right. think there are a lot, even though I might agree or disagree or whatever with those comments, I think it is a, um, I think they're onto something in a wider context because in if you look in the book of Revelation, when a soul is caught up into heaven and stands before God, only two things happen. Either they are so overcome with awe of his divine majesty, they are silent, right. or they are so overcome 
they sing out his praises. Right. Nothing other than that happens. Do you think you're going to stand either A, at the foot of the cross, if you're talking about the mass, or B, if you're going to be in heaven, you're going to be like, so, the Super Bowl, how about that? Right, right. Like, right, right. No. And so what we need yeah. to do is create this place where when I walk in, this is the place of peace. This is the place that, and, and I, so when I did the compare and contrast the two different views, one is the build the bridge, make it easy, adopt the ways of the world so that the worldly can easier come on to church, or B, I take the B approach, the shock and awe. Let them enter a place that is screenless. Let them enter a place that is filled with silence and with music. Let them not enter a place that sounds just like the place they came from. Right. Yes, it may be easier for the worldly to enter into the church, but number one, that's not conversion. That's appeasement. And number two, there are other places where that makes sense, right? right. So this is, the, this is the great cop-out that I see now in the church today. This is the cop-out of fake evangelization. You and I both know it is easier to evangelize in a classroom than it is one-on-one. It's yeah, easier to stand right. up at a pulpit, or not a pulpit, but a podium, and to just give a talk. It is much harder to invest and pour yourself out for one individual. We don't want to do that. And so what we do is we look at the church and we demand that the things going on at the church, the classes, I, I mean, I'm putting everything, Christ, life or whatever it is, and alpha, what is it called? Is it Christ life? Christ, yes. Yeah. Christ, yes. Christ, Christ so life, funny. alpha, um, all of these outreach programs are great for what they do, but that doesn't preclude my need right. to go and disciple people individually, Period. personally. But I think we're scared of that. I'm scared of that, and I do this all the time. Of course we're scared of it, and not only are we scared of it, but I think there's a sense that a lot of people have so many problems in their own family. They're like, well, how am I going to yeah, yeah, absolutely. do that? And it's like, well, you start with your husband. Start with your child. Start with your kids. Start with your brother. You know what I mean? You start that in those places. You do whatever you can. Yeah. But but can I, can I go back yeah, one please. minute? Yeah, okay. I just... I love, and I know I've said this a million times, so you can roll your eyes, but uh, doubling down on the Catholic is a very valid form of parish evangelization. Absolutely, We don't realize it. So we have been doing these things uh, in the diocese. I think, I think I've mentioned it on the podcast once before, and I know I've at least talked to you, where we call them, uh, it's an evening of mass and prayers of liberation. Okay, yeah, you have mentioned that, yeah. Right, right. And what we do is, you know, so it starts with adoration. There's tons of priests for confession. At 530, it starts, okay, with adoration and confessions. Somebody leads a rosary. Uh, at about 630, they repose the Blessed Sacrament. I give a little talk. Mass starts at 7. They have mass. After mass, they, um, the priest who I work for will actually read like like ancient exorcism prayers that he's allowed to read, not like a formal exorcism yeah. or anything, from the altar over everyone. And and it's very, very, very well done. It's explained that, like, look, you're, we're not saying anyone's possessed. We're not saying it's like a movie. What we're saying is that every single one of us has a battle with the devil, and that's what we want to do. And then all the priests who are there take up a sacred relic they line up at the front and they give their priestly blessing with a relic to anyone who wants to come up. You can line up and the, and the evening's over. And I cannot tell you so many people come up and they're like, oh my gosh, you know, I've forgotten about the rosary. I've forgotten about 
the battle with the devil. I've forgotten about relics. I've forgotten about those things. And like how much that means to them yeah. to bring those things back out. It's been a very evangelistic event. And it's very interesting to see how that's happened. I I just think like what you said is so, so true that a lot of these movements are trying to make evangelization easy, but evangelization isn't easy. Period. It's, and we can't try we can't make it easy. Yeah. It's people. No one wants like right. it's not just people, but it's people at their messiest. Right? Yeah. It is us entering exactly. into the dark places in people's hearts and trying to bring healing and peace, a message of comfort and hope and restoration. And that means getting involved, right? That means inviting people over to your house. That means going out for coffee regularly. In America, it often takes the form of coffee in the morning or beers in the evening. Yeah. With an individual over a prolonged right. period of time. Right. It rarely involves, hey, this is great. Now come to this class. Right. right. Now, sometimes now I view the like think about Alpha uh, or Christ Life. You market it as it, it is a, a non-liturgical thing whose whole function is to allow people to freely express their thoughts about religion, about Catholicism, about Jesus, about a church teaching, whatever. But at the same time, they are going knowing that they are going to hear what the church says about Christ and faith, right? So they're going to go into an environment where they know the gospel is going to be proposed, but in an environment where they are free to oppose it, right? right. That is not what the mass is ever going to be, <laughs> right? No. Nor right. should it ever, should ever, it ever, ever, right. ever. Right. So what we need to do is say, okay, well, what is our experience of the mass? Now, I, I, one of the things that always stands out to me when I start talking about the sacred is actually Sherry Waddell's book. And Sherry will be the first to admit that she is not a, uh, she doesn't like the liturgical wars and all of that stuff. But Sherry Waddell. Yeah, she does not get into that. Yeah. Author of Forming Intentional Disciples, and she has a Forming Intentional Disciples Facebook forum. I used to be super, when I was on Facebook all the time, I was super active in that group. I'm not anymore. But um, in the context of her book, Forming Intentional Disciples, she talked about how when she wasn't Catholic, she went into, I want to say it was like an old Catholic church in Berkeley. And she would just sit in it, and she just said, like, I felt this peace and this calm and all this stuff. And she's like, I could feel God's presence there. That's what the sacred is meant to do. Right. The Holy Spirit can work in a bland, ugly church in the round. But the environment consecrated and dedicated, built on the tradition of the church of how it understands the physical building and the space. I mean, do you know we consecrate bells and name them for the yeah. church? Right? right, like all of the like, why the organ? Because it sounds most like a human voice, and it's supposed it's the closest instrument to a human voice. All of these things. This isn't like something like some old church guys like. You know what? I like the organ. We're I'm going to make it mandatory. There's like all this theology and praxis behind it, but when we when we take that secondary approach, when we tone down the Catholicism and turn up the the common ground with the world. We are actually, I think, in a very real sense, removing the sacred from their lives. So when we fill right. it up with screens and we make it look like American Idol. Hey, we're so happy to have you here today, folks. We're going to turn it over to Father here in just a minute. But let's go through, you know, everyone stand up if you're new to our parish. God bless you. We're happy to have you right outside at the gift shop. You can pick up your free tote bag, right? Like these gimmicky things that surround the liturgy. If we could pull back and double down on the sacred, you will come to find that the the signs and symbols of the sacramental life end up getting amplified, not lost. 
because if you if you go on YouTube and you watch the masses, you can see a whole bunch of masses all across the spectrum, and you can ask yeah. yourself, holy moly, are these people all Catholic, all celebrating the same mass? You know, and it's scary. It is literally scary. So, for instance, there there are two priests. I'm not going to say their names. Actually, I don't. I know one, but not the other one. Where they they the camera's right in front of the altar. The whole altar is set up, or the altar is set up for the whole of mass. So they got the lectionary there. They got all that stuff. And he just oh. sits there, and he leans on the altar the whole time. He gives his homily at the altar, just leaning there, talking. It's so folksy, talking into the camera. And you're like, yeah. <laughs> You know you're crying out to God for mercy when you say, Lord, have mercy, Christ. I mean, you're right. not giving a folksy little speech to the people. Right. You know, right. These, <laughs> so so like the posture and all that stuff, the stand, sit, kneel, Catholic calisthenics, ouch, I pulled a hamstring, all of these things matter in the worship. And so the restoring the sacred, gosh, I sound like such a, I, I sound like a person with a mission because I feel like I've been robbed and I want to get back to not necessarily the Latin Mass. Again, I don't go to the Latin Mass at all. I have a normal Novus Ordo church. But this movement of awakening, this understanding of sacred as something set apart, kadosh in Hebrew, right? The holy. It's set apart for one thing only. It is dedicated unto the Lord. So we ought not to talk about the game <laughs> when we're in there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I, I, I was so happy to see that, that, uh, your parish was doing that. And I, I, I'm not, I wasn't surprised at all because Father David, this is kind of his mission in life. Yeah. But I think it's such an important thing. And I think like looking at what you guys have done is a, it's a great example of one way to do this. Um, you know, uh, anyways, I, I, I just, I, I, I think it's, it should be a movement across the churches and, and like this whole thing with, um, Eucharistic coherence with the bishops, this is a great place to start. Yeah. A great place to start is uh, restoring the sacred. Well, so. so let me give you a couple instances of restoring the sacred. So Father David Huss started at our church like eight months ago, and Father Jesse started at our church six months ago. So our pastor left, our parochial vicar left. So it was kind of a, a new start, new things in a big way. And Father Jesse, who is our pastor, he said, uh, when I think about my life as a priest, my first thing I start off is... The will of the bishop is the, exp the the expressed desire of the bishop is the will of God for me as a priest, meaning he takes obedience very, very, very seriously in his in his vocation. And so uh, and he was a layperson who took a vow of poverty, chastity, obedience as a layperson for years of his life since he was like 17 or 18. He was a part of the Focolari movement. So if Father David, who is uh, zealous for the liturgy and for the sacred, if he can show him, like, this is what Holy Mother Church is actually asking of us, then Father Jesse's like, yeah, let's do it. You know, <laughs> He's, and he brings yeah. uh, he brings uh, a gentle enthusiasm, whereas Father David is uh, a Texas yeah, tornado. <laughs> yeah, right. So yeah. within that, this is this is what's happened. This is what's happened. I, I think this is so fascinating. So Father David is a beautiful singer. He has been, well, he, he himself is not beautiful. He's very unattractive, but he sings beautifully. <laughs> I've known him since I was 18, since I was a freshman at Franciscan. He um, <laughs> sings at all of our buddies' weddings. And now he, obviously, he's the priest for him, but he sang the Ave Maria. I mean, he nails it. It is awesome. He has an amazing it's, voice. It's, it's very strange to see a man his size <laughs> he has a ginormous be, able, be able to sing the way he sings yeah, it's amazing like a castrata from italy in the 1700s um yeah, right. so he he does this and it's amazing so that means that as a priest when he chants the mass 
I mean, it is incredible. It is beautiful. He understands how to do it from the inside, not just like, oh, I got to sing this thing, but like he understands the different forms of chant. Okay, so whatever. Uh, I'm not trying to fanboy here, but it has awoken in me when he chants the Roman canon, and he only does Eucharistic prayer number one. He never does any other Eucharistic prayer. He only does the Eucharistic prayer number one, and it's awesome because that's the most ancient of the Eucharistic prayers. Eucharistic prayer number two being invented in the in the 1960s. And so when he does this, a lot of people got angry. A lot of people got upset. But here's the fascinating thing. In this, uh, the eight months that he's been there, people have come out of nowhere, out of nowhere, and have said, like, in tears, I don't know what's going on because my pastor also, also sings it, and he has an amazing voice too. We are very lucky. But they said, uh, like, I don't know where this is coming from, but I just, this is so beautiful. How can I give you money to make this more beautiful? And so they do things like someone says, you know, I heard Father Dave has a bell. He rings a bell in his hand whenever he enters the church for like daily mass. And someone said, you ringing that bell reminds me of my childhood. Like they used to always ring this bell. And he goes, well, you're actually supposed to whenever the priest enters in for mass. And he goes into a theology of it. This person goes, can I buy bells and have them installed here at St. Anthony's? And he goes, no, unless you buy a matching set and put it in our new chapel. <laughs> and they go, that's awesome. Yeah, and they go, deal. Someone, so Father David has his own vestments that are, as you can imagine, resplendent and glorious. Yeah, I would imagine. Yeah. So someone came up and wrote a massive check saying, buy all new vestments that look like this. And so they're donating. I mean, like tens upon ten. I, I would say in the last eight months, we've probably had close to $200,000 come unsolicited unsolicited i only one of those things was solicited i should say one of those was uh our organ we have an electronic organ thingy and it died so we needed yeah. to get it replaced so they ran a, a flock note that said organ donation and, <laughs> and it was very successful one person said i will pay you the full amount as long as you can guarantee me it can be fixed soon because i want that back at the mass and awesome. there's so this is crazy like People who who probably didn't complain, didn't, you know, whatever. Maybe they rolled their eyes at certain things. But now all of a sudden it's like this is clicking with me at a deeper level. Um, yeah. We don't trust feelings, right? But when the feelings connect with a sense of the sacred and stillness, solitude, silence, you know, the standard of contemplative prayer, we need to pay attention to that. And so, um, you know, we have chalice veils now. We have the proper amount of candles you're required to have on the altar. You know, all these things like this. And we were always blessed with a very beautiful church. Um, it's a modern church, but it's very beautiful in how it's done. Tabernacle, big gold box right in the center. And it uh, has the 12 apostles on the outside of it. So there's a lot of that that's already there. We have adoration. It's almost perpetual. Um, so there's a lot of good things happening. But within this... and the sacramental life of the church um, needs to just be double, triple down, not uh, lobotomized, not watered down so it's palpable for an atheistic audience, um, but actually needs to be held up higher, I think, in right. our culture, held up much higher. 
Right, right, right. All right, let me switch gears real quick because I have to. I have to. I have to run something by you okay. before I. Well, we're thirty nine minutes we in, so let's throw it to this a commercial. It. Let's throw okay. it to a commercial. All right, ladies and gentlemen, email us at eksb at essentialpress We got about eight emails in the last two weeks that are very good questions, so hopefully we can get to them, combine them all into one big show. But this Facebook post caught Dave by uh, by surprise, and you should yeah. really read the com- the comments because it is the cast of characters that you would expect on <laughs> on a post like this so we'll be right back after these messages from ascension press did you know that every single item in a catholic church points us towards heaven make every visit to a catholic church a powerful reminder of god's presence with a new book from ascension the sacred that surrounds us by andrea zachman the sacred that surrounds us awakens Catholics to the mystery of the seemingly ordinary items we see every week at Mass. It explains with clarity the symbolic realities and historical facts of each one. To order The Sacred That Surrounds Us, visit ascensionpress.com or Amazon. All right, Dave, we're back. What was your thing you were going to say? I'm waiting with right. bated breath. All right, all right. Well, it's going to seem totally, completely off topic because we just had that intense discussion, but I've been dying to talk to you about this. Okay. So have you seen a lot of Catholic people are talking about this? There is this 400-acre estate for sale near Drovers, near Franciscan University of Steubenville. I have not. Have you seen this? No, no. Okay, okay, okay. So it has, it, it has like 38 master bedrooms, okay? And it's got 400 acres and it has the most beautiful like medieval chapel I've ever seen. Okay. On it. And it's only $4 million. Okay. All right. How many acres? 400 acres. 400. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So it's very reasonable in my opinion. Okay. (laughs) So look, here's, here's the thing. I wish that I could have that place and here's what I would do with it. Something you and I have talked about a lot of times before. Okay. I would like to start. I would I would split it in half. Half would be for priests. Half would be for men. Okay. And it would be for, it would be a pornography addiction treatment center. Wow. Okay. And here's my problem is that if I know so many men, like if they were to come home with like an addiction to cocaine or something like that, right, their, their families would not leave them. Right. But I know so many men who have lost their families because of this addiction, yes, right? And yes. and and there aren't a lot of places that you can go for like in-house treatment like that. Okay. Yeah. So I want I want to get this place, right? And I want to get the JP2 Healing Center, who I learned about from you, yeah, to come and help. And I want to get I want to staff it with like actual counselors, like sex addiction therapists and things like that. And I want to run this place. What do you say? <laughs> are you are you and Shannon ready to move to West Virginia? Okay. So I'm just kidding. No, no, no. I'm kidding Here, about moving there. When here's my way of discerning the spirits. <laughs> Can it be found in a country song? Okay. Because I'm a Texan, right? So the song Country Boy Can Survive. Someone says, Michael, why are you watching all these YouTube videos about homesteading? You were born yeah. in the suburbs, Good you point. were made in the suburbs. And I'm like, Yes, but my heart belongs in nature. Okay. Country boy can survive. Uh, we can skin a buck. We can run a trout line. A country boy can survive. I can't do yeah, any of those yeah. things. <laughs> so I'm a little nervous. But 
But there's Thomas one. can. Don't worry, because we know Thomas. <laughs> yeah, my son Thomas. I kill so many things every day, Father. <laughs> what? Nothing. Um, <laughs> Papa. Uh, I think of that line uh, where he says, uh, "We're from the West Virginia coal mines, a country yeah. boy can't survive." So it fits that criteria. So now it's in the discernment slot area. All right. Okay. Is there? Uh, so so. Th- okay. Okay. Would I have to live there full time? No, I don't think so. I don't even think I would want to live there full time. But it is close to Drovers, which is the best wing place in the, the United best States. Best wing place, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Okay, Anyways. I'm in. Let's do it. Yeah. So, all right. So, listeners, we need. We just need four million. Come well, on. no, we need a good six million. Yeah. That's what we need. Yeah, you got the operating right. costs first two years. Yeah. Right. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think we can do it. Yeah. I think we can do it. Oh man, I want to so bad. <laughs> Every time I see it. I literally was going to have an engineer friend of mine go check it out to see what it was like, like how much work it would need. Yeah. And then I thought, I have too many projects in my life and everything else going on in my life, so I cannot take this on. But then like six months later, it still wasn't sold. And I was like, this is obviously God telling me I need to buy it right now. <laughs> well, why don't so. you do the thing where you pray and you say, God, if this is your will, close the door. What are you doing? What is that? I don't like is, your I imagine tone this right is your now. Sensitive, this is rude. This is your this sensitive is guy voice. Dear Lord. We just, Father, we just come before you. We just, we just love you. This is and I, and listeners, I, I apologize for this to have this assault place, on on need, authentic prayer. I need a parishioner to just walk <laughs> up with a check for six million dollars, Lord, if it's your will. What if I just say at a talk like, "If you give us six million, God's going to bless you with sixty million." Like, <laughs> uh, I, I those think we've taken enough Houston. of their time. Okay, <laughs> all right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you all. Pray for Dave's discernment as whether or not he's going to own a four hundred acre plot of land. Yeah, and a sweet retreat center. <laughs> Look at this amazing retreat center, pornography detox center, yeah. slash working farm. Oh, I don't want to do that. Uh, no, none of those things. Well, if I'm going to live there. A farm? I'm doing a farm. We're going to raise okay. chickens the way God oh, intended. Chickens are the worst. You're All the right, worst. Right. You know what? Your dreams are terrible. God, Ladies God and bless gentlemen, everyone. email us at EKSB. Adios. <laughs>